Hello and welcome to Dior Common Thread. In this series, we'll explore the constellation of creatives around Kim Jones, Dior Men's Artistic Director, who has masterminded some of the most dynamic and exciting collaborations in fashion. I am Ed Tang, co-founder of Art Bureau, a New York and Hong Kong-based art advisory, and now your host. In each episode of this show, I'll be bringing you conversations with some of the artists who have collaborated with Kim at Dior. From art and fashion to nature and technology, we'll discuss their influences, creative process, and everything else. Today, I'm joined by Simon Paris, who consults on creative partnerships and more for Kim Jones Studio. Simon has been responsible for various collaborations working with Kim in his roles as artistic director at Dior Men and Fendi Women's Wear and Couture. Simon is a contemporary culture renaissance man and is someone who has a long history with Kim. Friends since childhood, they have shared many creative moments throughout their careers. Straddling the worlds of art, music, fashion and design, Simon has worked everywhere from nonprofits to commercial galleries to orchestrating projects for both major and emerging brands. We will discuss some of Simon's influences, collaborations, and his insights into contemporary culture in this episode. Welcome to the show, Simon. This podcast is really about creative collaborations, something you've made a career from. Was that something that happened by design or accident? Hi, Ed. Um, I think it would be fair to say that I grew up a little on the introverted side. So perhaps my interest in collaboration was initially uh, somewhat born out of necessity as a means to be involved, uh, but not necessarily be in the spotlight, or at least uh, perhaps to share the spotlight as a means to navigate the side of my personality. And if we were to talk more about the creative side, this has been ingrained in me since I was a child. uh, And from a young age, my expression mainly took the form of Uh, let's say, drawing, costuming, (laughs) and music. Um, So it was very much part of my life from a a young age. Can you tell us a little bit more about growing up? Absolutely. Um, I grew up in a creative home, and my late father was an art historian and curator who worked for the Tate for 35 years. And my mother uh, worked with bookbinding, historic prints, and magazine editing. All of this really very much went on to have a direct influence on me Now, this is the Dior Common Thread podcast, so perhaps let's talk about you and Kim. How did you two meet and how has your relationship evolved over the years? Kim and I met as young children in Sussex, uh, Lewis specifically, through our respective families. Our lives and friendship have been interwoven since. I guess really we're closer to being brothers than friends, if anything. We're talking, you know, really the evolution of a friendship from a very young age, which has just been unbroken since and has both been a friendship, but also has become something which is uh, more formalised through work and uh, collaborative projects together. Now you are officially working with Kim in his studio. How would you define your current role there? Well, the Kim Jones Studio is a multifaceted studio based in London, which provides design communications and artistic consultancy services to both Fendi and Dior alongside other international clients. And at the core of the studio are people have known Kim for many years, including myself and his uh, right hand, Lucy Beden, who's worked with him for 16 years and is now design director. 
And it would be fair to say we're very much like a family, kind of working and holidaying together. Um, in terms of my personal role, I'm principally there to instigate and facilitate collaborations with, with external creatives, whichever form this might take. Uh, but my role, like others in the studio, is to some degree mutable. It's common wisdom to separate work and pleasure, but you know, lots of those collaborations are with close friends. In, in your opinion, at least, in your opinion, is it a good idea to collaborate with friends? I would say not always. <laughs> I think if, yeah. if we to, if we talk, to talk Depends, specifically right? about Kim and I, I think we're so ingratiated in each other's lives. We're, you know, we know the we, we know the upside and the downside of each other's uh, personalities within a, a work or collaborative context. So I think we can we can navigate that quite successfully. Um, but I would say that from my point of view, from my personal point of view, it's it's uh, it's absolutely a, a positive thing. Um, brings a great deal of um, uh, stimulation and uh, joy into my life, and hopefully vice versa. Pretty early on, you chose art as your calling. You began working in commercial galleries before heading to the public institution, the South London Gallery, where you worked for more than 12 years, beginning in 2008. People are often curious to know what it's like to work in the art world. How would you answer that question? Undoubtedly, it's many things. It was a privilege to have the opportunity to be in conversation with artists, uh, to be a little inside their head as their show or performance came together. Um, and by necessity, each project that we might conduct with an artist or uh, a performer was a collaboration both externally and internally with all departments of the organisation, including the technicians, the fabricators, the communications department and the front of house, all critical to the success and dissemination of the project. I think to me, this sums up the importance of recognising strengths in other people, not assuming that you're in a position to take on their expertise or experience, it's better to collaborate than to imitate. South London Gallery is known for its daring, critically acclaimed shows. Can you talk to us more about how you approached your role as head of programming there? The programming team was a small group of us coming together on a regular basis to share ideas and opportunities and included the director, Margot Heller. We came in with our own particular set of interests and research, but we tried to foster a culture of opportunity and a can-do attitude. So it was very much a, a sharing platform for discussion to think about the practicalities of realising a given project, which often, as you might imagine, boiled down to financial support and funding. Yeah, I mean, it, it was really the programme that has made the South London Gallery a very special place. Indeed, it was the first venue for Tracy Emmons' infamous tent, Everyone I Ever Slept With, 1963 to 1995, when Carl Friedman curated the Minky Mankey show in 1995. Other artists in that show were Sarah Lucas, Gary Hume, Damien Hurst, you know, YBA veterans who really embodied that buzzy London art scene in the 90s. You seem to me to embody so much of what makes London, London. Although travel is uh, now omnipresent in my life with this new position at Kim Jones Studio, I've called London home for nearly 30 years now, and I don't see that changing just yet. And as much as I dreamed of what London had to offer as a teenager, I still have that same uh, passion and I guess a yearning almost when I'm away to get back and be out there. 
Yeah, I mean, London is always London. <laughs> I have loved a number of shows at the South London Gallery, to name but a few. Lawrence Wiener, Jan Vo, Michael Armitage, Oscar Murillo, Hage Yang. Do any particularly stand out in your mind? I have particularly fond memories of working on projects with Ravani Neuenschwanda, for example, who proposed a very significant intervention into the Victorian space, which is a double-height space, where she basically created a what was akin to a mezzanine or a, a platform which cut through the middle of the space with a series of uh, uh, stairwells going upward. Really strong uh, architectural interventions which accordingly had quite uh, a significant um, range of problems to solve to get to the point of the exhibition opening in terms of working with structural engineers, architects, and of course, uh, you know, fabrication companies. So they're very meaty projects to work upon, which um, as someone who's responsible for both the artist conversation and kind of production and facilitating that's a really interesting problem to solve a host of uh, logistical challenges and uh, technical things i'm sure exactly go big or go home as they say right how do you think about the different audiences between gallery exhibitions and fashion shows and collections that's a big question um I think it's important to certainly not to dilute uh, the projects or the exhibition making or indeed you know, any kind of artistic uh, aspirations, but at the same time being very conscious that we do not want to create niche audiences or uh, niche markets for, you know, be it for an exhibition or, or for a, perhaps a fashion collection. Mm. And, and how different would you say is it working with a non-profit to working with a brand like Dior? You must have absorbed a whole different way of thinking, operating, and getting things done. I must admit, I was uh, having spent twelve years with a nonprofit. Uh, it instilled in me so many thoughts and processes and approaches to the way I work, and I found it interesting that I had the opportunity to to take some of these ways of working into a completely different context. One which has a certainly a different funding model and a different outcome and perhaps targets. I felt it more like a very exciting opportunity and I feel that there's a benefit for people who've not necessarily traditionally you know, studied fashion or engrossed them, the whole of their career in that industry to come in and to be part of the conversation um, in such an intimate way. It's bringing a different perspective. Absolutely. Music has played a particularly big part in your life, both professionally and personally. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that crossover? Well, at the South London Getaway, I was always very keen to program live music and performance as an ongoing concern uh, with a broad remit in terms of form and content. I also did my best to program outside of the gallery, encouraging site-specific responses to the garden spaces, to rooftops or off-site spaces. And these could be durational performances which last several hours or quite kind of fleeting ephemeral moments. It seems natural that it features heavily in your work now. Also, as music consultant for Fendi Boutiques internationally, you also oversee the catwalk and show music for both Dior menswear and Fendi women's wear. Um, how do you see music as an extension of what you do now? Well, I'm fortunate to be able to integrate music into my role with the Kim Jones studio. Um, as you say, 
working in two different ways at the moment, both with the Fendi boutiques in terms of scoring a playlist for the for the stores internationally, but also uh, with the last two Dior catwalk shows, um, starting with the Fall 22 show, which was uh, the one where we collaborated with the Kerouac Estate. Uh, following an introduction from Sammy Jay, who was one of your previous interviewees, yes, I was responsible for liaising between the Kerouac Estate, Kim and the design team, and the wider Dior teams. And for the soundtrack to the show, we invited the actor Robert Pattinson, who's both a friend of Kim's and the face of Dior Homme Fragrance, to read excerpts from Kerouac's uh, seminal novel On the Road. So aside from uh, Robert's contribution, we uh, proposed uh, for the catwalk itself, it was basically a, an oversized version of the, the scroll version of On the Road, which was uh, Kerouac's a hand-typed uh, kind of draft of of the uh, of the novel, and this was enlarged to a, a great scale and become the catwalk and became the catwalk itself. I think it took maybe two and a half minutes to unwind and reveal the typed scroll, and before it became the catwalk itself, each uh, stage of the show had a, a, a piece of music which was effectively scoring this particular moment. So. These tracks were scored uh, or sequenced in a manner that I felt makes sense within a loose narrative and an emotional arc. So with the unfolding of the, the scroll, I chose to work with a looped up a section of a track by Throbbing Gristle. Now Throbbing Gristle are themselves interesting and relate to the beats of, of whom you know, Kerak was one uh, because they had a, a very close relationship with William Burroughs the beat writer and visual artist who popularised the cut-up technique in the mid-50s to the mid-60s. So it was this really nice uh, generational crossover between Kerouac and Burroughs, and then Burroughs and um, Genesis P. Origin, Throbbing Gristle. Absolutely. I mean, it, I vividly remember it, and it was such a memorable setting. It was very thoughtfully done, and to your point, it was really this convergence of literature, you know, jazz and rock and roll, counterculture, fashion, that really gelled together that whole presentation and collection. Uh, it was, you know, in an awesome scale as well. And you also were responsible for the music and track for the Dior Men Winter 2022-2023 collection. Absolutely. And the collection was inspired by the Dior archive principally. And bearing this in mind, I chose to use uh, extracts from uh, a Christian Dior speaking. And I mined the archive and I had a whole host of a material come back to me and I was navigating that with my let's face it quite poor French but also trying to find something importantly that fitted with a with a menswear context and was uh, you know very much the spirit of the collection in this moment in 2022. I was fortunate to find in the archive Christian Dior's lecture at the Sorbonne in 1955 entitled Fashion its economic cultural and aesthetic place in modern civilization. And I isolated uh, a series of passages where Mr. Dior was talking more around architecture and sculpture and form. And I chose these extracts to reflect the, the set design, which was a recreation of Pont Alexandre III, which was built uh, in celebration of the Paris Exposition. And these uh, extracts of Mr. Dior talking really spoke to the, the sculptural elements of the bridge in a very beautiful way. These were overlaid over a single track, which was Carolina Polacek's The Gate, an extended version. 
So it was a very simple composition in this instance. You say simple, but it seems you have very meticulously thought about the music and you're not the type that really cuts corners. Um, but as you say, it really was a breathtaking, beautiful presentation. Let's talk a little bit about your freelance work because, you know, on the side, I believe over many years, you also did an incredible amount of work with brands, with publications and magazines, with designers, musicians. Uh, it would be fair to say um, that moving to London really opened my mind up. And while studying, I did work experience at IED Magazine in the design department under Scott King. And this really uh, coalesced in my mind that I was very keen to fuse the music, the fashion, the art together and not really feel there was any sense of hierarchy. So with, um, mm. with Kim's... Uh, decision to study fashion at Central St. Martin's, this, I guess, allowed an opportunity perhaps for some of these dreams to come to be in terms of Kim and I working together more in a fashion context, but with taking on board, you know, print design, which I was to be involved in, and the music which I scored for Kim's graduate collection onwards with his eponymous uh, label. Um, I remember actually before he formally started studying fashion, we dreamt of starting a label together. And at one point, I was, you know, to no great end, I was drafting graf graphics for a speculative brand and was desperately trying to convince him not to name what would later become his eponymous label after himself. <laughs> so it was, there was always this sense that at some point, um, I felt that Kim was probably going to be the, the crucible to this happening, but we always had this kind of shared dream of, of bringing these elements together, I guess, in, a, in, a, in this manner. Dreams do come true. <laughs> they do. So Simon, paint us a picture of how or what it was like working with Kim in the early days. Well, Kim and I would habituate Soho, um, where small fashion boutiques rub shoulders with record shops, uh, such as Tracks, Black Market and others. And once, uh, once Kim had uh, initiated his, his own, his eponymous label, we had various opportunities where the clothing was exhibited effectively, one of which was actually at, at the PNLI, which was in an old surgery on Broadrick Street in Soho and had no email or website when it opened. They focused on, I guess, the next generation of designers, uh, some of which were coming out of Central St. Martins, as Kim was. So for the presentation of Kim's label at the PNLI, we included a floor-to-ceiling installation which drew upon both Kim and I's record collections. The shop had removed the ground floor of the building surgery to create this double-height space that offered the opportunity for mannequins to hang from the ceiling. So Kim's collection was seen on the mannequins and then the backdrop to that was this kind of double-height installation of uh, our record collection. So it's always been more than just fashion. It's really fused with you know, experiences, music, the underground, uh, and all those different exciting London elements. Absolutely. Many of the early collections where I was responsible for doing the graphics, the graphics were themselves inspired by music references, which is a passion that Kim and I jointly shared. So often the graphics juxtaposed disparate uh, references to music, so disparate kind of genres which maybe wouldn't ordinarily be bed partners were seen together in print form. They might include lyrics or references to particular genres or uh, yeah tracks, basically. And that was something which was very much part of the, the early days of the Kim Jones label. 
Brilliant. You also worked with, I think, Penguin Classics, the publishing house, on a very special edition of Kerouac's On the Road. Is that something that you can share with us? I can, absolutely. So, you know, publishing has been very dear to both Kim and my heart uh, for many years now. As you know, Kim has this incredible book collection. I've always been very keen on printed matter and have my own collection, as well as having been involved in publication design and uh, design before. We thought it was a really uh, beautiful opportunity when we were approached by Penguin Books to basically do a special edition of On the Road that was uh, produced in a run of, of 2,000 copies and would be made, made available uh, just to Dior's clients. So this is a very special edition where Kim has both written a fraud talking about his relationship to uh, Kerouac and the beats and also how that um, uh, cross-pollinated with the, the with the collection for Dior. And then we've also invited uh, Gordon Flores, who's another member of the studio, to create two new illustrations, one of which sits on the half jacket of the book on the front, and the other is is opposite the title page of the book inside. Well, I can't wait to get my hands on it. I may have to call in for a favor <laughs> uh, for one of those copies. And of course, speaking of publishing, you also helped um, work on the Rizzoli book with Nikolai von Bismarck, The Fendi Set, From Bloomsbury to Borghese. A very different project, I imagine, but uh, I'd love to hear more about the, your involvement in that as well. Absolutely, of a, quite a different scale that was um, many months in the making. Um, and I actually just personally came on a bit later to that particular project, but uh, came at a point where um, I be- became involved in the liaising between the designer, between uh, Fendi with Kim and uh, Nikolai himself. And it, again, it really, I guess, was a continuation of how I've been very used to working in previous incarnations in the art world and at the gallery, where I'm absolutely kind of in the middle of things and liaising between various people and helping to facilitate conversation to some degree. The book has since been published and has been very well received, and we continue to uh, to do launch. There's a, a life to the publication and its dissemination to the wider public, which I'm really excited about, and clearly that's something which publications do very well. And another collaboration that stands out is the Fendi Mabeo collection of furniture. I remember seeing you in Miami during Miami Art Basel in 2021, where the 10-piece collection debuted. The pieces were locally crafted in Botswana using traditional techniques with a twist. It also goes back to Kim's roots growing up and spending time in Botswana. That was a project you were quite heavily involved with. What was your experience on contributing in that project? Yes, exactly. So through um, through the Kim Jones Studio and my consultancy for Fendi, I was given the opportunity to uh, propose and be involved in the shortlisting of uh, of a designer of a studio that would work with Fendi as part of their ongoing um, booth and support of Design Miami, which I believe has been for twelve years plus now. And I was really looking at this how I would approach this coming from my my art gallery background. Once we determined that we would work with Mabeo, I have to say from the very first conversation with Peter, the namesake of the of the studio, we, although on the surface the, you know, there's clearly a distinct uh, difference in scale between Mabeo's studio in Botswana and Fendi in Rome, 
we sensed and identified commonality both in the way that Peter and I like to work, which is very much rooted in conversation, uh, but also with uh, Mabeo and Fendi in the fact that they both work with artisans to produce pieces in their collections. So there was this really beautiful uh, synchronicity between the way they work and approaches, which I was really happy to be able to facilitate through the project. Is there any tips that you might want to share for those of us who want to you know, work more with people and being more expansive in how we create things and approach things? I would say it's the key thing for me is to be absolutely to be open-minded and to be humble. You know, I tend to be in awe of the people I get to work with and I feel like it's really important just to, to listen as much as anything is to ask questions and listen and hopefully steer things in the right direction. Collaboration and partnerships have never been more important. I think it's very much about not trying to do everything, trying to give other people a platform and try and push the conversation forward through, yeah, through dialogue effectively. But I also like to be surprised and I like sometimes, you know, a bit of provocation or friction, not not in a negative way, but just something where there's not necessarily an easy or an immediate resolution apparent. I feel that that's really interesting. Being prescriptive about what an outcome should be when you approach an artist or a designer, I think is a a huge mistake. It has to be about that conversation. And the sense of discovery. Absolutely, always. Simon, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. To our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And please follow Dior Common Thread on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.